Okay, everyone, finish up your finger sandwiches. It's time to reconvene and dig into the second half of the literary masterpiece that is Matthew McConaughey's Greenlights. Enough with all the philosophical nonsense. Let's jump to the steamy parts. Well, uh, Matthew isn't one to kiss and tell, but his stay at the Chateau Marmont sounded salacious. That was okay, but not what I had in mind. Oh, well then you must mean him jerking off to Lord Byron and you too in a bathtub in Australia. Also very sexy. But again, not what I was thinking. Then it has to be... Ah, the, the recurring, recurring wet, wet dreams. dreams. Floating down a river naked, covered in snakes and vines. It's an image that will live in my head forever. I find it refreshing. So few celebrities talk openly about their nocturnal emissions. Green light. From Los Angeles, California, it's High on Film! Tonight, we've got Joe Rechtman and the Dark Tower. I believe Keystoners call it Excalibur on tonight's episode. I do not podcast with my mouth. He who podcasts with his mouth has forgotten the face of his father. I podcast with my heart. Welcome to High On Film, sobering talk about movies. I'm Chris Maxville, your host on the coast for another week of McConaughey celebration. That's right, we're celebrating the work of Matthew McConaughey in this duo of episodes. Last week, we took a look at The Beach Bum from the year 2019. And this week, we're watching the infamous adaptation of uh, some beloved novels, a long-rumored troubled production that changed many hands and resulted in The Dark Tower from the year of our Lord, 2017, directed by Nicolaj Arcel, written by Akiva Goldsman, Jeff Pinker, Anders Thomas Jensen, and Nicholas Arcel himself, based off Cy Stephen King's Dark Tower novels. What a movie, huh? I, I anticipated this for so long. I believe I was reading the novels when J.J. Abrams first announced that it would be his project to follow up Lost. Obviously, that never happened. And now, years later, we end up with a Cliff Notes version of an independent Dark Tower adventure told from Jake's point of view because I think they just wanted a PG-13 rating. Uh, though that also probably saves us from some of the more problematic Susanna Detta material that Stephen King wrote into the novels, but that is another story. Anyway, it is McConaughey. As I mentioned, we are celebrating all things Matthew McConaughey, and here to help celebrate is the man who's right to my left. He's the co-host from the couch and the podcaster of disaster. It's the Brad Davis that God gave us, my co-host and friend, Brad Davis. Happy McConaughey again, Chris. Oh, Brad, it's so great to continue celebrating this this high holiday with you. Uh, and I, I should note, we were both reading Green Lights for this McConaughey, his his autobiography. And I now we're, we're both finished. We weren't finished last week. And we hypothesized that maybe the beach bum somehow catalyzed his writing of of his autobiography. But now in his autobiography, we've gotten to the point where he states that he's been writing this thing 
for 30 years, just bits and pieces all over the place. So I think it's more safe to assume that maybe Beach Bum compelled him to finish his book, much like Moondog in that film. Agree? Disagree? What do you think? Sure. I mean, I can only believe him to such a degree on how long he's been writing this. I'm sure he's jotted notes down about things like pretty much everyone does. But but you might be right. It, it might be that Beach Bum finally pushed him to do it. But I, I'm one to believe that uh, he tends to exaggerate a little bit. I, I, I take everything he says with a grain of salt. Yeah, if there's anything that the book has taught us, it's that Matthew McConaughey might exaggerate a little bit. Let's get to The Dark Tower. Joining our quartet today is a writer, a high-on-film veteran, and the mind behind the Church of the Cosmic Turtle blog. Joe Reckman is here. Thank you, Cy, for coming back on the show. Hi, all gunslingers. Good to be here. Ah, Great to have you, Joe. I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you about this movie because you are a... Dark Tower aficionado, correct? Uh, f- that's a word. Fanatic is another word I might use. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm a fan. That's that. that I would understate it. Uh, excellent. And you're currently on your second, third. How many times have you gone through the series? It's it's hard to count because I've read some books more than others. I've read some books, you know, three times. I've read other books six times. I call this my fifth read through of the series. But that's you know just an estimation. Sometimes I'll just like go to sleep and listen to the audiobooks and read, you know, the middle hundred chapter, you know, the middle hundred pages of one book and then forget about it and pick it up months later. So it's hard to keep track. Ah, gotcha. Well, fifth, fifth, five times through is, is pretty impressive. And I guess once you're at that level, you can't just pick and choose. Somebody online messaged me and was like, I'm on my 19th read through. And I was like, holy crap, really? <laughs> like, wow. You are dedicated. You, yeah. re- you read these books like I watch Friends. Just like, yeah, I'm picking up around season four and just <laughs> pretty much. I love that Friends episode, the one with Blaine the Train. Uh, <laughs> a classic. Yeah. All right. Well, Joe, have you seen this movie before? Uh, I have. I was there opening night in the theaters. I bought my ticket two weeks in advance. I was very excited. And and what are your thoughts on this film? Uh, being <sighs> as you're very well acquainted with the, the novels. Uh, I'll tell you, man, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a movie. It's a strange movie. Um, and I have kind of like, I'm of three minds about it cause I'm a movie lover. Like I love movies and I'm also a screenwriter. So I know how the sausage gets made and I'm also a huge dark tower fan. And those three parts of me feel very differently about this movie because the dark tower fan in me is like, this is a heinous Frankenstein misrepresentation of everything that I love. And it's almost, it's almost more infuriating because they, they crammed so much from the books into this 90 minute movie. Like they crammed so much stuff that I am, I I'm familiar with all of it and it's all just wrong. And it's like, it's like staring at a, a, at a painting on a wall that's crooked and you, nobody's letting you fix it. <laughs> it's, it's like almost there, but not quite. Um, but then as, as a movie goer, I'm kind of like, yeah, but it's just a big dumb action movie with Aegis Elba. And like, I get to see Matthew McConaughey, like do weird, like Spider-Man magic glass throwing fights. Like, like I'm on board 
And then the screenwriter <laughs> in me, the screenwriter in me is like, I can tell exactly what they did and why they did it. And part of it works really well as an adaptation. I think a lot of it is impressive how much they were able to squeeze into this movie and make it more commercial um, and how parts of it just don't work at all. It just as a movie, it just doesn't work. Yeah, I, I really feel like the only joy I get from this film is because one, they do neglect a lot of my favorite parts of the Dark Tower novels. They kind of leave those out of this movie completely. Yeah. Two, because I feel like you need the history and the love of the characters that are in the books in order to get the enjoyment out of this film. I don't see how you like this film if you haven't read the books, because I don't think this movie actually does the work uh, of plot and character to lure in those who aren't already initiated. I was thinking about it, and I think like they got 90% of a really great adaptation, and the only problem is the 10% that's missing is like the most crucial <laughs> stuff. It's like they, they got all of the like fan service cameos and like Easter eggs in there and all that, all that Easter egg stuff is great. And it's just the, there's a fundamental misunderstanding of like the core of this text. They just like, do not understand what gunslingers are or who Roland is and, and like his, what his central goal is supposed to be. Uh, and that just, you know, 90% just doesn't cut it when uh, that's the stuff that you're missing. Well, if you haven't seen the dark tower or you haven't read the novels, Maybe you've seen the movie and you need a little reintroduction. Brad and I have prepared a little trailer to give you just that. Here it is. In a world where the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. You're a gunslinger, right? A tower stands at the center of the universe, protecting us from darkness. It is said the mind of a child can bring it down. And that child is Jake Chambers, who everyone thinks is crazy. Dude, stop staring at your drawings. You're freaking me out. But in the Stephen King universe, it just means he has the shine. Like Danny from The Shining, or Scatman Crothers from The Shining. His shine is pure. Jake will follow his dreams to a real fixer-upper in Brooklyn, go through a portal, and end up in the post-apocalyptic hellscape of Midworld. These ancient structures are from before the world moved on. Who knows what they are? Your theme parks. There, he'll meet Roland, a gunslinger with a tragic past and a passion for firearms. Do they have guns in your world? You don't like Earth a lot. Together, they'll battle the Man in Black, the Dark Sorcerer, the incarnation of evil, Walter Paddock. Is it Walter? All with the fate of the universe on the line. Calm down. Enjoy the show, folks. You ain't seen nothing yet. Sony Pictures presents an adaptation of seven beloved novels boiled down to 95 minutes. Is that why we're losing? Because everyone stopped believing. 
Idris Elba, Tom Taylor, and Matthew McConaughey. Choose a pretty face and the world is your oyster. There are other worlds than these. What happens in one world? There goes another. Death always wins. That's the deal. The Dark Tower. The man in black fled across the desert, and the gunslayer followed. Ah, The Dark Tower. If you haven't read the novels, I, I really, really do recommend them. They do go a little off the rails towards the end when Stephen King inserts himself into his own books, but uh, I love it for that, actually. I think it's really fun, and knowing the whole story behind the writings of it and how long it took him to write it, it only makes the story a little better for me. And now it's time for Trash Star Destroy. That's right, it's Trash Star Destroy, America's favorite podcast game. We're going to give you three movies of a similar ilk and ask you to make the hard decisions. One movie you must trash, which means it's eliminated from existence forever. One movie you get to star in, in whatever role your fragile actor ego heart desires. And then the third movie then must be destroyed, which means that the only version of that film that has ever existed has been written and directed by Mr. Michael Bay of The Island fame. We're talking about Stephen King, and uh, this movie does do a lot of work at putting in a lot of Easter eggs for what is now kind of a, a blossoming Stephen King cinematic universe. So let's do three recent Stephen King adaptations. We'll do uh, The Shining sequel, Dr. Sleep, with Ewan McGregor. We'll do it, uh, specifically focusing on Chapter One, uh, the new version. And uh, the Netflix release of Gerald's Game. So, Trash Star Destroy, Dr. Sleep, It Chapter One, and Gerald's Game. What do you got? I'm going to star in Dr. Sleep simply because I just want to be connected to anything that really has to do with The Shining. I like Ewan McGregor as an actor, but to be able to play older Danny is too good of an opportunity to pass up. So I think I'm going to star in Dr. Sleep. Then I'm probably going to trash Gerald's Game. I haven't seen it. Chris, I know you were a fan. I am a big fan of that one. I, I think it's really good. It, it contains one image that is one of the creepiest images that I have in my mind to this day. But yeah, just from what you've said about it and knowing Michael Bay, I feel like giving that movie to him will probably basically make anything good about it null and void. So <laughs> therefore, I am trashing it. <laughs> and classic me, what's the third movie? Uh, it, chapter one. Oh, yeah. And that actually works. Pr uh, I, I think that movie will take a step down, obviously, but that plays pretty well into Michael Bay's hands. And, you know, you, you have a good villain. As long as you cast Pennywise well, you'll, you'll be okay. So Mark Wahlberg is Pennywise. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't like the idea. I think we've professed this before of Michael Bay hanging out with a bunch of children on set, but what are you going to do? Especially for a book that ends in uh, essentially a children, a child orgy. We probably don't want Michael Bay <laughs> directing that. But maybe they cut it out. Maybe the studio convinces them to cut it out like they do. He turns it into a kiss in this one. So, Yeah. If, if, as long as they keep it PG-13, then they'll box him in well enough. Joe, how about you? What are you doing here with your beloved Psy King? 
Yeah, I'm uh, I'm of the opposite opinion. I really want to see Michael Bay's Gerald's game. Force Michael Bay to stay in one room and just like see what happens. I'm not sure it'll be any good, but I, I'm, I'm kind of just curious to see what happens when you rein that guy in. I love the idea of limiting Michael Bay. I will say that. I love that idea. It's like, you know, uh, he's he's a poet. Let's make him write a sonnet. You know, keep them contained a little bit. For Star, I'm going to star in it as Pennywise. And I don't think I'd be any good. I think I'd probably, uh, it would be a bad movie. But I'd have a lot of fun on set just like getting into makeup and, you know, doing my thing, uh, doing terrifying antics to, to small children. That seems like a good way to spend like, you know, seven or eight weeks. Good way to make a couple million dollars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that too. And I guess that means trashing Dr. Sleep, which is really a bummer because I, I really enjoyed that movie and I don't want to do that. But at the same time, I know uh, Mike Flanagan has eyes on the Dark Tower and, and as a screenwriter who desperately wants to adapt it, um, maybe trashing his previous work would, you know, help my chances of beating him to, <laughs> beating him to the, uh, the job. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna trash Doctor Sleep. Yeah, it should be noted that Mike Flanagan both wrote and directed both Gerald's Game and Doctor Sleep here in this in these two. Uh, he is the preeminent king filmmaker uh, right now. He, he is quite good. I, I I would be thrilled if he took over the Dark Tower. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, honestly, I'm trying to decide if I want to work with him in Gerald's Game or Doctor Sleep. I, I would either take Bruce Greenwood's part in Gerald's Game and be this ghost figure to Carla Gugino. Actually, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start with Carla Gugino uh, in Gerald's game. I'm going to be her dead husband. Doesn't she like speak to herself in that? Maybe you could be one of the other Carla Guginos. Well, she also speaks to him. His ghost comes back to kind of talk to her at some point. So I get a little more than just the (laughs) opening scene before my body is just laying there for the rest of the film to be eaten by feral dogs. That being said, I was almost going to star in Dr. Sleep as the main character, as grown-up uh, Danny taking Ewan McGregor's part. Because I did like that movie as well, although maybe it's a little overblown. Um, I think I'm going to give that to Michael Bay and let him go ahead and try to <laughs> live up to Kubrick's The Shining. Uh, that movie does actually take scenes from The Shining and, and kind of recreate them, so I would be morbidly interested in seeing uh, Michael Bay do that. Which unfortunately then puts it chapter one in the trash, which is absolutely the chapter to watch uh, of the the two new movies. Uh, unfortunately, sure. yeah. But uh, that's that's why it's trash star destroy. It's the hard decisions, man. Okay, guys, we have time for one more category, and it is McConaughey after all. So let's do three recent Mike Matthew McConaughey movies. We'll do the movie we just watched, The Dark Tower. The movie we watched last week, The Beach Bum, Harmony Kareen's The Beach Bum. And his uh, 2018 release, White Boy Rick, where Matthew plays an FBI informant. So the Beach Bum, the Dark Tower, and White Boy Rick, Trash Star Destroy. I know I wasn't a fan of Beach Bum, but I think under these circumstances, I have to star in Beach Bum. I think the role, oh God, what role do I want to take? I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take Do McConaughey's it. role. I'm taking. Yeah. I'm Moon Dog. you know, 
you just get to hang out on the beach. You get to hang out with famous people. It's not a bad deal. I almost went with uh, our our guest Brendan Gallagher's choice last week of taking Jonah Hill out of that movie. That's that is a a good move in the long run, but it's just not as fun for me. Brad, you're gonna get to smoke with Snoop in this role. You know that, like yeah. you and Snoop. Get the blaze up. Like, I didn't even think about that part, which is incredible to me. But yes, that's a no-brainer. I kind of feel like joining a Harmony Corinne movie is like you're you're like the little girl in Spring Breakers. You're like going along for a ride that you you might not want to go on. Like you might you might find that you need to go home early from that trip. Brad is Selena Gomez. <laughs> I've been compared to her before. It's it's a risky move, Joe. You're not you're not lying there, but I, I think I'm gonna roll the dice and just kind of see where I end up on that one. Smoking with Snoop is is too good of an opportunity to pass up. So I think I'm going to have to just see what happens. So then I'm gonna trash. Whew, I'm gonna trash Dark Tower. I'm gonna do all of the Dark Tower. All of the Stephen King fans, including you, Joe, a favor, trash this, and hopefully, no objections here, and hopefully somebody will come in, and and hopefully that means, and I haven't read the books at all, so I I don't know any of this, but from what I've heard about them, they are so revered, and to me, maybe if this uh, misstep in in a movie didn't exist, maybe then, especially now in the limited series era, we would be more likely to get this in a different format than just a 90 minute movie for how many ever books, which is insane to me. So I will trash that, which means white boy Rick is going to Michael Bay and eh, FBI informant that checks boxes. So I think, I, I think Mike will do well with it. Yeah, Brad, I, I'm with you hundred uh, percent. White boy Rick is easily to Michael Bay. The crime I'm, I'm going to, you know, opposite what I did last category, I'm going to put him in his element here and let him do White Boy Rick. Yeah, I think trashing the Dark Tower is the, the right move here. Uh, it's, I think, probably the worst movie of the three, to be honest with you. And I, I really think, as, as my old friend Ryan Howe used to say, Dark Tower should be an HBO series and it should be six to seven seasons. Do... Book one and book two is your first season, and then every subsequent book gets its own season. Game of Thrones type budget, and you can really do something special with the Dark Tower. So let's get this out of here. I mean, the, the biggest thing I think this movie does is give us uh, Idris Elba as Roland DeChain, uh, and I think he's fantastic as Roland. Uh, so I hope we can keep him for the for this hypothetical HBO series to come. And yeah, I'm, I'm starring in Beach Bum. Uh, I'm tempted to also take Moondog, Brad, but if you're going to have that role, I can move over to... Mm, Don't be Isla Fisher. Yeah, I won't be Isla Fisher, no. Okay. Uh, I was thinking more, I'll be I'll be Zac Efron's character. Oh, I'll that, be Flicker. That's fun. You know, I'll, I'll shave some tiger stripes in my beard, put on some bejeweled Ed Hardy shirts, and we'll rock out to Creed together, man. You might have to cut your hair. No. <laughs> No, are you kidding? Uh, well, maybe. We'll see. I'll talk to Harmony about it. Good, good. He'll listen. Yeah. Joe, how about you? What are you doing here? So uh, I'm starring in The Dark Tower because it's terrible and it should be wiped off the face of the planet. But again, the opportunity to like meet Stephen King, hang out on set, 
wear the guns. Like I'd, I'd star as the gunslinger and, you know, mm-hmm. do, do, do the whole thing with Matthew McConaughey, like <laughs> being ridiculous in my face. Sign me <laughs> up, man. Let's do it. It almost doesn't need to be trashed because it already is like nobody, like nobody cares anymore. It's just gone. It's like this blip. Michael Bay, I'm going to give him the beach bum because oh. I think I think next to right behind The Rock, I think Pain and Gain is his best film. Hmm. And The Beach Bum has like a similar, you know, Florida neon vibe um, that I'd just be again, like Gerald's game. I'd be interested to see what Michael Bay would would do with that. Um and we're trashing White Boy Rick, and I have no problem with that because I didn't see it. <laughs> Very hard to find right now, too. It is not streaming anywhere at the time of this episode. So, <laughs> not even during McConuary? Did you tell them? I, I, you know, I wrote a strongly worded email, but I have yet to hear <laughs> back, unfortunately. And that's Trash Down Destroy for another week. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more Dark Tower, more Joe Reckman, and more High on Film right after this. Stephen King will allow any of his short stories to be adapted for a dollar. So if you want a movie worth 100 pennies and not a cent more, look out for trucks. It's a poor man's Transformers where the vehicles never transform and the Autobots are the bad guys. Timothy Busfield stars in a movie where a Tonka truck kills a mailman. A toy shouldn't break just because a child plays with it. Stephen King's trucks. You turn, you die. And we're back high on film talking The Dark Tower. Unfortunately, the film, not the novels. Uh, Today with Joe Reckman here on a very McConuary episode. And here we're about to dig into the movie. Of course, we're always spoiling things here and this will be no different so please if you haven't seen the dark tower or haven't read the novels or for some reason don't want this movie spoiled which does not have the same ending as the novels so you're safe there pause now watch it but uh we're about to do some scene work we're gonna rank the top three and the bottom three scenes if you haven't realized already we're an optimistic podcast so we will start things up off optimistically with best scene what are our top three best scenes in the Dark Tower? We'll start with number three. All right, I can kick it off. Uh, my number three is probably the funniest scene in a movie that's not funny. And it's once Roland and Jake have made it to New York. And Roland is... Keystone Earth. Keystone Earth. And Roland is pretty injured so they go to the hospital and it's this fish out of water type scene where truthfully the funniest line in the whole whole scene is uh they're sitting in a hospital room Idris Elba's like watching tv and it's uh, a commercial with like talking raccoons I believe and he says do animals still speak in this world and Jake's like no no that's just a commercial and and what's his Tom, the kid I, I i should look the actor's name the kid like sits down just takes a good comedic moment and just says wait still speak and it just and then the the scene evolves into like doctors coming into the room and claiming like saying 
uh, Roland has hepatitis A through F or something. <laughs> yeah. uh, radiation poisoning. Radiation poisoning. And it's all them. And, and he's, the doctors are surrounding him and Jake's off like uh, out of sight from them. And he's like kind of directing him through all the things that he says that don't really, you know, aren't really accepted in this world. Like it was a legitimately funny scene that was played well by both actors and yeah. played into the comedy well. And that's my number three. They're like, have you traveled overseas? He's like, no, I've been here on Keystone Earth the whole time. <laughs> and, and Jake's yeah. just in from like, nope, nope, don't say that. Yeah. That's, that sounds crazy. And he gets out of the, the hospital by giving the nurse a, a piece of silver and said, this is for your services. And just <laughs> rips his tubes out and leaves, says, bring my guns. It's a really, really funny scene. Uh, and Tom Taylor is the actor who plays Tom Jake. Taylor. I could think of Tom and I couldn't get the Taylor. My, my number three is super quick. Uh, I don't have a lot that I really loved about this film, but it's a small little detail I thought was really, really funny. It's actually when Jake posts his drawing of the house that he sees in his dreams on the internet and asks if anyone knows where in New York it is. I love the internet comments because they're so real. Yeah. <laughs> it comes up being like, Someone says no idea. Someone says Universal Studios. Then the third one is up your butt. <laughs> I thought that was such a good uh, cross section of the of the answers you get on the internet. Someone just saying no idea, responding with no help at all. Someone giving a joke answer, and then someone making a crude remark. And it even continues because then it says someone else is a smart ass and says, "Uh, it's a drawing. <laughs> this is a drawing you posted." <laughs> And then finally, someone gives him the real answer of it being in Brooklyn. And I just, it made me laugh so hard to see those internet comment lines just, just on the screen. It, it was really, really funny. Wow, I missed that. That's real funny. Joe, what's your number three? Uh, number three, I'm going with uh, the man in black killing Jake's parents. Uh, they they come into the apartment. And it's just, I, I gotta say, I love McConaughey in this movie. Like, I, I do he's great i'm like he honestly like he nails flag he he like gets it he gets what he gets what makes flag and uh for anybody that hasn't read the books in the movie they call him walter i'm calling him flag he gets the enjoyment that flag takes out of things like you know making a little girl hate her parents and in this scene they come into the apartment and he's like Oh, was, I hope you don't make. I hope you don't mind. I made myself at home. They don't have chicken where I come from. <laughs> That's a great line. And then immediately after that, like really great coy comedic line, he just like does these horrible things to this this couple. And it's one of the times in the movie where you feel them pushing the boundaries of their PG thirteen rating. That's that would be number three for me. And yeah, if you're a Stephen King newbie out there, his name is Walter Paddock, the man in black in this, but he's also known in many other Stephen King novels. He shows up a lot, but Randall Flagg is also one of his names. That's what Joe's kind of referring to there. He's currently being portrayed by Alexander Skarsgård over on CBS All Access. They're doing a miniseries of The Stand. All right, best scene, number two. What do we got? Oh, well, I'll start here, actually. Mine is Brad's number three. It's Roland at the hospital with Jake. Yeah, we've already covered it. We've said all the good lines from it. It's absolutely the funniest scene in the movie uh, and does bring out some of the anachronistic humor that Roland runs into often in the book, in the books. Uh, and it's really one of only two scenes. Maybe you get that in, in the film. And that's unfortunate, but the hospital scene is my number two. Uh, my number two, and kind of speaking to what you 
said earlier, uh, Chris, about Idris Elba uh, as Roland. And, uh, you know, he he does what he the best he can with what he's given as far as the script goes. But, uh, you know, my number two and number one are going to be a little obvious. So apologies. But number two for me is that long range shot when he takes his time and just they're rad. They're running. Jake's captured by, you know, one of the bad guys. I don't even know who, but. He's running away and he takes his time and he's just like listening to everything. You get all the quick cuts to all the different things around him that kind of that he's working through in order to, you know, shoot with his heart or whatever. The creed itself is, you know, you guys can shoot with your mind, kill with your heart. Sure. <laughs> uh, you guys can speak to like how whether that's used well in this movie or not. To me, it comes off very cheesy in this movie, but I, I think that's because they're and I'll get into this in more. See, their lack of development overall in this film is just uh, it's, terrible. Yeah. But uh, that scene is badass. And you get this, he's aiming, he's waiting. You see the running and he gets one shot and just go, you know, boom, 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 all, you know, through many different things and just pops the guy right in the head. It's badass. What can I say? So for me, my number two is going to be the finale battle between Roland and Flag. Uh, interesting it's you know it's goofy and stupid and i wrote down on my notes here i see jack skellington spider-man fighting because mcconaughey is like doing this weird like crouch thing with his hands and he's like nimbly bimbly all over the place uh and it's it's ludicrous but i kind of love it and I, i was watching it last night thinking like there's no way to adapt these books into a movie in in a way that's going to like be the same experience. The only thing I'm getting out of an adaptation is like the visualization of the the cool shit that Roland can do. And I feel like that scene is really where it's like this is this is like why I would want to see this movie on a big screen is for, you know, this heightened experience. Yeah, I, I'm with you there, man. The things they, when they actually get around to showing like how good of a gunslinger Roland is, are it takes all great. the whole movie. Well, you get a little, you get the little taste of it when he loads his six shooter at night when Jake is in Midworld, mm-hmm. and you see him just literally just seamlessly drop it's six great. bullets into yeah. the chamber of his, his revolver. It's the it's so cool. Trick. Yeah, exactly. I will say that ricochet, the final ricochet of him shooting the bullet and then another bullet to, to ricochet his first bullet. Like it's, it's a Robin Hood trick it's and dope. it's great. Yeah. It's cool. Flag ca- catching the bullets and then like popping them back at him. Like sign me up, man. I'm on board. I, I hate to tell you this, but I'm going to have more to say about this in the next segment. I will too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Does that put us at number one? Number one best scene? Y- yes, I believe so. My number one best scene is, uh, you know, towards the end of the movie when Roland is just shooting everybody and he has the belt with like the chambers on it that he's just like literally loading quickly as he's like running around. And I mean, as he's like running around shooting so many people, it is and sorry, it's like basically the same thing as the last thing, but it is really badass it's maybe not on the level of like some action, you know, other action movies as far as just like great, uh, great gunfight scene, but 
it's uh, I remember seeing when I saw this movie in theaters, I remember not liking it, but it was pretty damn cool. And that's pretty much all I could take away from this movie <laughs> at the points, especially if someone who hasn't read the book. So I can't appreciate the Easter eggs. So, yeah, it had a couple cool scenes. Uh, my number one, Brad, you beat me to the punch again, is 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 your number two. The the Roland heartbeat, no-look gunshot to save Jake from one of these, these skin people. It's so good. I mean, he slows everything down in his mind. He hears all the little details around him, like a, a wrench clanging, uh, a laundry flapping in the wind, slows everything down, raises his arm, doesn't even look. Here's the running of the the villain with Jake in his arms, shoots, boom, dead. Jake falls uh, with with the dead body. He's free. Runs back to Roland, and yeah, it's it's like the the freak on a leash video in in reverse. You watch that bullet go through everything. You watch it go through a bucket of water and laundry, and and go and and hit the guy. It's it's really awesome. And like you said, Joe, a real great example of of what a gunslinger is able and should be able to do in this world. And, th- and thank goodness we finally mentioned corn on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Long overdue. Hey, listen, those first three albums are pretty good. <laughs> Coming up on our next music podcast, we're going to go through <laughs> the first three albums of corn, one a week. Yeah, we should start a corn podcast. There it is. Don't be corny. We have enough albums. <laughs> we're going song by song through corn's discography. Oh, don't tempt me. (laughs) Joe, what's your number one? My number one is when Roland and Jake are on Keystone Earth and they go to the gun shop and Flag ambushes them there and splits them up. And uh, I, I like that scene because I feel like that scene is when the movie gets the closest to really capturing the essence of like what is interesting about these books like the dynamic of flag using his magic to kind of ambush and manipulate and trap Roland with all of these psychic tricks and kind of taunting him and telling him like you know everybody you care about dies because they're in your life and I really like when they kind of go go in the back room of the gun store and McConaughey's there but not really there and he's kind of following Roland around and they they do that cool shot where Roland's walking and McConaughey is on a dolly right right in his face um to me that that feels like the the real essence of the novels it's it's not even a the best scene it's not like that well shot it's not there's nothing that special about it but to me that feels like the most dark tower yeah, and you get a lot of good Idris Elba, and I will say you get a little more for this film uh, of a restrained McConaughey. Like in that scene, he's a little more restrained than he is in certainly a lot of the other scenes he's in. Yeah, uh, as he threatens him and Jake's life, and he says, "Did you tell him that everyone who walks with you dies by my hand?" Like it's a really good when Mc when McConaughey wants to be threatening in this movie, he can he can definitely pull it pull it off. And I I love the tension in that scene, too, of the uh, clerk, the store owner who's like shooting at him and it's like saying, like, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. And actually having to see Roland like make that decision of like, well, this guy's trying to kill me. But I also realize that he's being controlled 
and eventually like shoots him in the shoulder. So you like, it doesn't seem like he stops firing. Yeah. But like a very cool, it's a very cool thing. The the man in black can do where it's like, he's, and you've seen it already, but like controlling people around him to, to basically make them victims while also being, uh, you know, making him, making them bad people who are helping him while also being victims. It's a very interesting line to walk. It's a great example of what this movie does do well, which is taking elements from the book and transplanting them into the movie that in a way that's familiar to fans, but also unexpected. Like that scene, that scene is like in the second book, but it's completely different and like a completely different set of circumstances it is fan service because you see it and you're like, oh yeah, it's the gun store. I remember this, but it's also, you don't really know what's going to happen because they've changed it completely. Well, that's where this movie, I think, actually intrigues me, right? Because it's a new adventure. It's not the Dark Tower books. It's a new adventure because Ka is a wheel after all. So right. this would continue on. So I, I do like this movie that they were like, look, we got one shot to make one movie. We can't do a whole seven, eight series HBO show like we want, but we have one shot to make a movie. Let's do a new adventure. I do, while initially disappointed in that decision, I do now regard it as like maybe the right move. Although there's obviously a lot that it falls short on there. That being said, if there's three best scenes, that means there's three worst scenes. Same thing. Three, two, one. What are our worst scenes for the Dark Tower? Number three. Number three is is kind of a broad stroke thing, and it's it's the CGI in the visual effects throughout this movie. And I'll get a little more specific later, but it struck me as a movie the studio saw knew wasn't working, so they edited it down as much as possible and refused to pay the necessary money to make the visual effects work. And I think it is, and the CGI in this movie is bad. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll mention the sky splits at one point. It looks terrible. McConaughey's lair getting blown up looks terrible. The fight between Idris Elba and Jackie Earl Haley like we go from points in this movie where they're trying to make it look like it's a very realistic kind of, uh, you know, like there, there's no superpowers as far as like the fighting goes or the action goes. And then all of a sudden in this Jackie Earl Haley scene, they're like flying all over the, it, it, the CGI is bad. The CGI is really bad and it takes you right out of the movie in so many different scenes. I did like Jackie Earle's death, though. I thought that was pretty cool that he's like jumping at Roland, then gets shot and hit by a car. I thought that was a pretty cool movement. Although, yes, the CGI is definitely at its weaker point there in the film. Yeah, there's like one or two scenes where the CGI is not bad. The rest of the movie, it's borderline unwatchable. Uh, three for me is actually, it's something I really like, but I think it's just done in such a, a ham-fisted way is that it's some of the Stephen King Easter eggs. They they jam so many in in such a small period of time. I don't remember the book ever being so outward about Jake's powers being the shine. I don't even think they mention the shine in that. But because they're the studio's trying to push this expanded Stephen King cinematic universe, 
they talk about the shine constantly in this movie and the first time they do it it's almost back to back with jake and roland that first night in midworld where they come upon the pennywise circus ruins and there's also some Cujo and some Christine references in here, and they're all just packed so close together, and it almost and there's feels... Charlie the Choo-Choo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that is from the Dark Tower, though, so I'll excuse that. But the other Stephen King uh, property uh, Easter eggs is what I'm, I'm kind of talking about. I just feel like they're so frequent and, and forward that they're almost not Easter eggs. Like you don't, you don't even have to search to find them. They're just like right there. They're like, oh yeah, you have the shining, you know, the book, the shining, that's you. You have the same powers there. They might as well say that. And it's just a little too much for me, especially in that one point of those back-to-back scenes. Small, but I know it just, just rubbed me the wrong way. I feel you. My number three is uh, when Jake goes to the house in Dutch Hill and goes through the portal to, to Midworld. Um, this is like a huge scene in the books. It's like massively mm-hmm. important. And it's, again, played differently. You know, it's set up differently. But to me, it's like, this is such an iconic moment that to, if you're going to put it in the movie, you got to do it right. Like, you can't mess with this moment. Uh, so I kind of wish they just hadn't done it at all. And... Also, to, I mean, to speak to your point, Brad, about the CGI, I mean, he goes through this portal and the portal looks terrible. Like for a cool, like you're about to draw me in to another world and like this is the shitty CGI portal that you give me. And it's all the more frustrating because in the books, the portals are just doors. They're just doorways. Like they didn't need oh. to do CGI. It could have just been a creepy ass door that he opens door. Yeah. and just oh. walks into this cool-ass desert. And it would have been so fucking cool to watch that. And instead, they gave us this, like, hi- hybrid of tech and magic Thor nonsense. Yeah, it looks like a Stargate almost. Yeah, and it's just kind of like... Oh, I, that's even more know. frustrating. Wow, that makes me hate it so much more. I didn't even realize that. And that's, such, that's so simple and so much better. <laughs> oh. In the books, it's literally like front doors to a house is what they look like. Yeah, oh. <laughs> it's uh, it's disappointing, and it, it was a disappointing scene, and um, that's that's going to be my number three. All right, well, let's move right along to number two. Uh, number two for me is a big problem with the whole film. It, uh, a problem I have extrapolated for the whole film in this one scene. It's when Jake is in the village, and uh, the seer Ara tells uh, Roland that. Oh, she tells the whole town, essentially, you're not a gunslinger because you have hate in your heart or something like that. And Roland gets upset and leaves because he kind of knows that to be true. And Jake defends him after he's gone and says, look, he's still a gunslinger. I know it. And it's just so unearned because Jake has no love for Roland yet. He's been with him for 10 hours. He hasn't had any of the adventures that he needs to. He hasn't really had the the heroics uh, experience like he does in the books and it just feels like i said an extrapolation of my biggest problem is that there's no real relationship building between jake and the gunslinger between the gunslinger and walter between even jake and his parents while, while that scene is terrible because you never want like a kid's parents to be murdered it's it doesn't even feel that earned because this movie is cuts out all that 
emotional work, whether it's from the script or from the edits, like you said, Brad, where I think they're just like, yeah, shave this down to as close to 90 minutes as you can because it's not good, which I absolutely think is the what the studio note was. But I honestly, and I don't say this often, but this maybe was a movie in better care should have been a little longer. I can piggyback on that for what my number two is, but I think for a yeah, for movie that is based off seven books, the idea that it is an hour and a half is insane. But to me, and this is basically, we're basically saying the same thing. It's development. It's character development. You have none. And you kind of touched on a lot of it. I'll mention one more. We're supposed to feel this loss for Roland and uh, when his father dies, when Dennis Haybert dies, and it, you're supposed to feel like this is something that's been happening for years. And it has. They, like, say it enough, but they don't show it. And the one scene we show where his father is killed, they make it out throughout the rest of the movie that he's supposed – this is supposed to have happened a long time ago. And it's supposed to be something that's just festering in him and that has, like, ruined him. And this war that they keep talking about. And we just don't see any of it. It's all tell and don't show. And it's such a problem. And his father dying feels like it happens five, you know, in real time in the movie, you know, 15 minutes before he meets Jake. And it, you just have no, none of the relationships work. The only time I felt any emotional connection was when Jake's mom dies. And that's only because, like, it's your mother. Like, that is inherently going to be effective. Uh, and the development of the characters, the development of the script, just everything with development in this movie was so lacking. So the, the, so the scene is the, the death of his father. Yeah. I mean, I, it was going to be more broad stroke for me of just like development of characters overall, but Chris touched so much on it. I just wanted to kind of highlight the one that I, that he really didn't mention, which I think is glaring in this movie that this, especially Roland, like everybody who walks with him dies all we do is hear about it and we barely see it. And when we do see it, it's literally five seconds of like, Hey, they yeah. like do the gunslinger creed and then he's dead. And it's just it, terribly underbaked. Okay. Was that leave us at Joe, did you do your number two? I, I did not do my number two, but my number two is that scene. It's the Dennis Haysbert scene. Oh. And I, I actually, I think it's actually the worst scene in the movie, but there's something else that bothers me just a little bit more that I'm saving. Uh, the Dennis Haysbert scene is like the source of all my issues with this film. It's, mm. first of all, it's clearly a reshoot. It's like, obviously... <laughs> They were like, oh, this movie makes no sense. Let's hire Dennis Haysbert for one day. And they were like losing light and shot it in this like weird sun dappled like backyard in fucking Topanga Canyon or something. Um, and it's just, it's, it's a bad scene. It's poorly written. You don't know who anybody is. You just watched Flag kill Jake's dad, I think, is what's happening. So it's in like the easiest, stupidest way possible. He just literally says, stop breathing. Like he does or to Jake's dad. Yeah. Yeah. Or stepdad. stepdad? Yeah. yeah. You're confused about where they are, about when this is, about who the players are. And uh, like I said before, there's just this like, really like they're missing the whole point of gunslingers. Like they don't understand what a gunslinger is. And Brad, you were asking before about the creed and the, you know, the creeds role in the books and, like, the idea that Roland and Stephen Deschain would, like, 
have to recite this creed every time they go into battle is like so offensive to me as a Dark Tower fan. It's like, no, these these guys are like, they sleep with their eyes half open and like are ready to go at a moment's notice. And the creed is something, you know, an apprentice gunslinger says to learn how to shoot. But like the fact that they have these guys saying it in, like you said, the cheesiest way possible is just like, as soon as I saw that in the theater, I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I can't tell you how much better that makes me feel. Like just from the standpoint of the books, like I, there's, it, you know, it's so dumb. Yeah, great. And yet, I'll say this: as a fan, I like at the end of the movie when you know they're trying to kill Flag and he's they're like whispering the creed. You know, I I get a little teary eyed. I'm hearing the it's creed. It's not bad there. It's <laughs> not bad there. <laughs> um, but yeah, that 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 Dennis Haysbert scene just like it really it really uh, it really bothers me. All right, guys, here we are. The number one worst scene. What do we have? Well, my number one worst scene actually combines my number three and number two. It's bad CGI. It's bad development. And sorry, Joe, but my number one worst scene is the final battle between... Hey, man, lay it on me. The man in black. We can have this conversation. And Roland. Yeah, and Chris, I'm sorry. I'd seem like... Uh, No, I'm, I'm piggybacking here, too. That's also my number one. Yeah. The CGI in that scene is maybe the worst of all. It is the most egregious of, and McConaughey doesn't give it, it doesn't help it in any way of like him throwing, him banking rock, using rocks to bank bullets and then glass. (laughs) And then he's throwing bullets. Like it looks terrible. And aside from that, I go back to the development of this film where, I really didn't feel like we earned this final battle between these two characters, iconic characters, even as someone who doesn't know what they doesn't know what the story is behind these two. These are iconic characters in, you know, in pop culture. And to see it kind of just come down to this scene that feels rushed and like once you're at the climax, you're like, "Oh, so this is the big fight scene between like two of the most powerful people in the world universe, whatever, whatever this is just real. Yeah. Universe just really falls short and it's, you know, Idris Elba's doing what he can, but it it just didn't work for me as a climax at all. Yeah. It's for me, actually, it's not even the CGI, which is a little uh, under par, a little, a little under par. A little under par. My bigger complaint is actually, Joe, like you said, one of your best scenes. I think McConaughey looks absolutely ridiculous trying to deal with magic. He just it's absurd. That's why I love it. (laughs) I I like a lot of his like off the rails delivery of lines, but his his movements wielding the magic, man, he he's no uh, Daniel Radcliffe for sure. <laughs> like he he looked like he really believed he was doing it. <laughs> yeah, but the, you're exactly right though with the Spider-Man kind of uh, physicality of him. It's so funny, and man, when he's catching those bullets and then throwing the glass, it just looked. <laughs> Yeah, oh, listeners, I wish you could see him, Joe, right now, because he is hunched over. Matthew McConaughey hunches over to catch these bullets, and it's so funny. I don't know why, but I, it takes a lot of the... It's one of my best scenes. <laughs> yeah. 
it's, it, there's a fine line between best and worst. There's a fine line. Here's the deal. I I have no defense. I have no defense. But what I'll say is that if I want the Dark Tower, I'll go read the books. And if I'm going to watch this movie, it's this bastardized version that's like even even on its own a terrible movie. So why not just like enjoy the parts that are the most ridiculous? Sure. That's true. Hey, I'll give you that. I'm just saying that up until that point, like it, it wasn't until they started reciting the creed and Roland actually does his little ricochet bullet trick to kill uh, the man in black, to kill Walter, that I actually like re-engaged with the climax because of Matthew McConaughey alive doing those crazy movements to wield his magic. I did write down after, like, I wrote down everything in that scene that I had a problem with for worst scene, but then I put in parentheses, ricochet bullet, pretty cool. <laughs> I didn't say that. Because it is, it's pretty cool. It, it is yeah. pretty cool. All right, number one, Joe, what do you got left? So for me, it's uh, it's like the first 20 seconds of the film. Oh, interesting. Because, um, so, I, the books have... Probably like if you Google best first line in a novel, uh, yeah. call me Ishmael almost... and a number two Dark Tower. Yeah, it's like Love in the Time of Cholera, Moby Dick, and Dark Tower. You know, the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed, which they say in the movie later, some like they shoehorn it in, but it makes no sense. It's dropped in in the middle of nowhere when they when they actually say it because we haven't met Ara yet, who's the character to say it. It's it's so uh, it's really enraging because like the books give it to you. They give you the perfect opening. Like there's two ways to open this film. You can either open it with a title card that says the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed, or you can open with a wide shot of the man in black fleeing across the desert and the gunslinger following. <laughs> like those are your two options. And if you do either anything else, fuck you. I'm, I'm like, as soon as, as soon as what, what does it say? It's like at the center of a universe, at the center of all universes, there stands a dark tower they say the mind of a child can bring it down. Yes. And I'm just like, that's not in the book at all. Like oh. you're starting off, you're starting off on the complete wrong foot. It's like, like I just quit the podcast. Like, <laughs> honestly, like I was sitting in the theater and it's like, they could have built so much goodwill by just doing it the way it should have been. And by like 100%. starting the movie with that affront was just like, Nope, I'm out. It, like, I, I, as soon as that happened, you just like cross your arms and you're like, "Fuck you." I'm a guy. I I hate when people are like, "It wasn't the same as the book." Like, I'm very, I'm very pro loose adaptations and like taking artistic license with things. But like, that's that's just how this starts. You just start with the man in black fleeing across the desert. I'm sorry. All right, guys. Well, that's scene work. I think we built a. A movie. We built a movie here, so good job. <laughs> and now we're into the last game of the podcast. <laughs> That's right. It's time for Milking It, my favorite game on the show, where we each will uh, will ro- well before we each do anything. I'll roll out the big computer of Hollywood Ideas two thousand, and it will provide us each with a. a few bits of information first it's going to give us a pitch card a pitch time length if you will either an elevator pitch meaning 30 seconds 
a water cooler pitch giving you one American minute or the boardroom pitch 90 seconds to get out your idea that will be a new Dark Tower film. You can use whatever ideas, characters, plot lines, anything you'd like from the movie, from the books in this case, uh, to kind of reimagine, repurpose, and put out a new movie to make the studio system a billion more dollars. To aid in your idea, the computer will also give us another bit of information. It'll give us either a genre, an actor, or a director to, to lead our, our thoughts. So, that being said, let's get the computer fired up here. All right, let's see what she has for us today. Oh, Joe, you're getting the elevator pitch. 30 seconds to get out your Dark Tower movie as a detective mystery. All right, a detective mystery, huh? Yeah. Good luck film noir in this up. We'll need a title and a quick summary of your film. Uh, and You'll have uh, about 30 seconds to do so. It has me going next, the computer does, with the water cooler pitch. One minute. <laughs> okay, this will be a nice challenge to do The Dark Tower, directed by Nora Ephron. I'm sure one of the top choices before Nicolaj Arcel joined, <laughs> joined the project. I'm sure Nora Ephron was a breath's away from getting this movie. And Brad, that leaves you with the boardroom pitch. A minute and a half. Okay, to do the Dark Tower as a screwball comedy. Okay. All right, Brad, you ready for that? Yeah. Why not? We're going to take a few minutes to gather our thoughts, and we'll be right back with three brand new movies for your listening enjoyment right after this. And here we are right in the middle of milking it with three brand new movies for your listening enjoyment. We are starting off with Joe Rechtman, The Elevator Pitch, 30 Seconds. To get out the Dark Tower as a detective mystery. Are you ready for this, Joe? I'm ready. Let's get in the elevator. All right. The elevator doors are closing. Oh, the executive stepped in at the last moment. So here's your chance. And take it away. All right. My movie is called The Dark Tower, colon, About the Author. And it begins with Stephen King committing suicide. And it's like big national news. It's a huge deal. But his son, Joe Hill, the writer suspects foul play he thinks that there's something more going on here he starts to do a little amateur detective work and in his investigation he ends up getting pulled into midworld finds out that all of his dad's creations are true and that his dad was actually murdered by none other than the crimson king himself wow well shit damn that's great i I love that it has a connection with the novels that stephen king's actually a character in this that's really great Guys, I've thought a lot about adapting these books. <laughs> a lot, of, a lot of hours have been spent just mulling this over in my mind. Joe's like, this is the easiest shit I've ever done in my life. I've daydreamed about this for years. That's me next. That's uh, the water cooler pitch. One minute to get this out as a Nora Ephron film. So here we go. Got my Dixie cup. I'm filling it with water. I look up. Oh, here's the producer. Let's go. 
Okay. Uh, Roland is a man, a single everyman gunslinger, just trying to make his way through the workaday lifestyle of Midworld. When suddenly, after tragedy strikes, he finds himself saddled with the care of a recently orphaned child, Jake. Jake, seeing how lonely Roland is, decides to use his shine to reach out to local and not-so-local singles across the universe. When he is contacted by someone who seems to be a perfect suitor, Jake sets Roland up on a blind date, there to meet at the top of the Dark Tower on New Year's Eve. Only, when <laughs> Roland shows, he finds that he's been tricked by the man in black. They fight to the death, Roland prevails, and lives to continue raising Jake in Sleepless in Midworld. Ah, uh, Beautiful. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I just couldn't resist having it set on New Year's Eve at the top of the Dark Tower. All right, Brad. Boardroom pitch. Yeah. The executive pitch. 90 seconds for a screwball comedy. Okay. All right. You ready for this? Yes. Okay. Secretary's letting you into the boardroom. Here you go. Okay. Roland and Walter have had this will they, won't they thing going on for years. It's a very love-hate thing. They're constantly at odds with one another, but no, they can't live without each other. One day, in between walks at sunset and battles to the death, they stumble into a portal that takes them to a place called Keystone Earth. Once there, they meet an orphan named Jake, who leads them through New York City in a classic fish-out-of-water tale. They have to hide their powers as not to be recognized and not to, like, follow their instincts under usual circumstances. But, of course, they can't help themselves because there's – while they're going to your common places like the grocery store and the gas station, just like, oh, how, how do I use this gas pump? And all of a sudden, of course, hell breaks loose. But things really get out of control whenever they have to go to Jake's mom's wedding to his new stepdad. And of course they get into a fight and there has to be this battle between the two of them. What verbally. And of course, you know, CGI wise, but in the end they find out that they still love each other and they eventually get back to their portal and live happily ever after with their new son, Jake. And there's a thin line between love and sworn enemies forever in His Man in Black. <laughs> I love that title. And it came with a tagline, too. Combinations for that. I do what I can. <laughs> His Man in Black is a great, great title. I had a feeling you were going to go that way. Oh, really? <laughs> Well, guys, I think we just sold three new movies to the studio system. So congratulations on a billion more dollars for uh, Sony Pictures, I assume. Oh, they need it. They need it. Well, guys, there's only one last thing to do on the podcast, and that's Brad Davis. You just watched The Dark Tower. What are you going to do next? Embarrassingly, I have not finished The Wire. And with Idris Elba being in this movie, I know I have to. I got to end of season two. And just there's been a lot of other things to watch and I haven't got back to it. So I am making a point to finish The Wire. You're saying it on a podcast to hold you accountable. I'm saying it out loud because there are there are a handful of things that I know I need to watch. But that is one of the things that I have neglected for too long. Mm, good one. Get on it. I will. Joe Rechtman, you just watched The Dark Tower. What are you going to do next? 
I think next I'm going to reread The Dark Tower. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, so you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I've got this blog going, uh, churchofthecosmicturtle.com. Uh, I started rereading the books back on uh, September 19th, uh, 919, mm-hmm. and I'm on pace to finish on 919. 2021 and i'm posting weekly posts they're little like you know just little essays little micro essays about um the chapters i read each week so if you love the dark tower as much as i do or you're curious about it come on over i'm on twitter at cosmic turtle 19 and it's been really fun i've met a lot of dark tower uh junkies on twitter and on reddit and uh online through this so if you're a fan come hang out Chris Maxwell, you just watched The Dark Tower, the best movie you've ever seen. What are you going to do next? <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, it's it's uh, like Joe. I, I think I'm going to read The Wind Through the Keyhole. I It's the newest Dark Tower book. It's supposed to come after Wizarding Glass, I believe. It's another flashback uh, installment of Dark Tower. I never read it. It came out in 2012-ish. Uh, and I never got around to reading it. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited. Wizard and Glass is my favorite Dark Tower book. So to have another flashback book to Roland as a child, or at least in his younger years, learning to be a gunslinger, I'm, I can't believe I put it off this long, to be honest with you. So uh, it's I'm going to read that. Yeah, Are you covering that in your newest reread? I will be. I'm going to be covering it in chronological order. So in between Wizard and Wolves. Awesome. Well, guys, that's it. Happy Macanuary to everyone. Uh, I hope you're all. God bless us, everyone. I hope you're all enjoying uh, the Matthew McConaughey movies of your choosing. Uh, I'm at Cross Maxwell across your social media accounts. Should you need to reach me or want more Chris Maxwell content, Brad Davis at BD Always GP on Twitter and Instagram. That's right. And Joe Reckman, you can check him out. Currently reading Wizard of Glass on the Church of the Cosmic Turtle. Dot com is that that's the website that's it there you go anywhere else do you want us to look for you uh on twitter at church of the Cos- or at cosmic turtle 19 and at joe reckman there you go joe thank you so much thank you Sai, for being a part of this podcast it has yes. been an absolute pleasure to see you again uh via zoom and to talk to you about dark tower uh Great thank chatting. you thank you so much long days and pleasant nights guys <laughs> Long days and pleasant nights, Joe. We'll be back next week with another movie. We love you, listeners. Goodbye. As we come to a close, I think we can all agree that this was just a fantastic read. A real page turner. We can't go yet. We haven't discussed the biggest, most shocking revelation of all. We talked about how he wouldn't have sympathy for others if tragedy hadn't struck his brother. No, not that. That he was the one to dub his career upswing the McConaissance. Ah, my jaw hit the floor. It takes a man of unwavering confidence to compare his own acting successes to the greatest cultural movement of art and intellect known to man. To keep that a secret for all these years shows the humility of his roots never spoiled. Green light, all right, all right. High on Film is a Maxwell Davis Productions podcast. Original music by Zach Pfeiffer. For more information, follow at High on Film on Twitter and Instagram or email the show at thehighonfilmshow at gmail.com.